to deal with the fact that many of our social justice problems like racism and sexism are often overlapping, creating multiple levels of social injustice. Welcome to Human Spectrums, a podcast series produced for CMRU.ca and the Community Podcast Initiative at IMRU. The Community Podcast Initiative is powered by Shaw. I'm your host, Aldi Loshi, and this podcast is produced by the students in the Broadcast Media Studies Program at Mount University. MRU sits on Treaty 7 territories, home to generations of knowledge, culture, and stories. We acknowledge the hereditary keepers of these lands, the Nitsitapi, Iyahe Nakoda, Sutina, and Métis people. We also recognize the historical and ongoing oppression that many indigenous cultures and nations face. We seek to decolonize storytelling by including voices and knowledge too often overlooked in the media. Human Spectrums explores how humans are on a spectrum of diverse races, orientations, and stories to tell. This seven-part series explores these stories and celebrates the diversity of our society. There's oppression and discrimination of all kinds. Discrimination against an individual based on their race, based on their gender, based on their sexuality. There's a lot of it. This is known as intersectionality. Proposed by Kimberly Crenshaw, intersectionality was born from black feminism and the lived experiences of black women, and posits that an individual's knowledge and experiences are directly influenced and shaped by multiple social standpoints simultaneously. Think of it like an identity Venn diagram. An individual could be a woman and have the experiences and knowledge that comes with it, and at the same time identify as a member of the 2S LGBTQA+, and have the experiences and knowledge that come with that as well. The overlap between these two categories, the center of this Venn diagram, would be where intersectionality lies. Here, we'd find entirely unique experiences and struggles faced by people due to the interconnectedness of these social categorizations. In this podcast, we speak with Valentine Kala of the Filipino art collective Hoak Kamai for their opinions and experiences as a transgender Filipina. Alongside Valentine, we've also sat down with MRU's own Lisa Cole from the EDI department on how we can be a little more inclusive. I'm Aldi Loshi, and this is human spectrums, intersectionality. I've heard like other people like speak about this and this is sort of hearsay, but you know, being a black woman, you're, the identities of being black and being a woman kind of cross together and kind of intersect in that way, right? So I think what they do is they influence each other and you know, create new aspects. It's very simple in my opinion. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, I could go the route of, it depends, but I think what it does is, due to the nature of intersectionality, it can make things a lot more complicated. So, you know, you have this one aspect of your identity that interacts with the world, or you talk to someone in specific way, like I can talk to someone as a woman sometimes, or I can talk to someone as a person of color, but having both of those at the same time, they create, like, they create new ways of interacting. So. You know, I have to be mindful of my own race, and I have to be mindful of my own gender, and how both of them can lead to new ways of interacting. I'm not very experienced with the uh, the actual definitions and everything. I, I feel as though intersectionality is something that is very individual, and it, as a whole, makes more... Hmm, for more complex, like relationships and interactions. I mean, you you know, you can think of it like even in a mathematical way. You have like the simple system of like one 
of like, well, I mean, we say simple, but in reality, of course, it's much more complex. Um, like there's, you know, the aspect of being a woman and the aspect of being trans and they interact and it's a complex system. Of course, I'd be comfortable doing that. I'm not <laughs> that too great at uh, defining things or coming up with yeah. more academic stuff, so I thank you for bearing with that. Um, in my own experience, it's, it's very, I want to say, disconnected, I feel as though. My identities have kind of just been aspects of me and sort of my body rather than aspects of myself, if that makes sense. So, you know, growing up, I was born here in Canada, and my parents figured it was better for me to learn English rather than to learn Filipino and all those languages. So, I don't really have much of a Filipino identity more than it is just part of my genes. And in a similar sense, you know, I try to protect my transgender identity a lot. I intentionally wear more masculine clothing and I intentionally, you know, lower my voice sometimes and don't always try to act feminine even though that is my identity just because I want to protect like who I am and so I find that my identities don't really create much of an intersection sorry an intersectionality they don't have that intersectionality aspect just because I kind of keep them separate and they haven't really needed to or I've sort of in a way been forcing them not to interact so you know, I talk to someone and the first thing that they'll notice is, you know, maybe my skin is a little bit more darker than like most of the people that live here in Canada. And sometimes, you know, I'll have like people like be like, oh, are you a foreign exchange student? And that, that doesn't really impact me as much. Um, but because I don't intentionally dress as a woman a lot of the time, my identity as a woman and even more as a transgender woman doesn't really interact with that. Similarly, in those spaces where, you know, they're more open and they're more accepting of those identities. Those, the aspect of me being Filipino kind of falls away because it's not something I talk about a lot in those spaces and it's not something I talk about a lot in general. It's kind of just a physical aspect of my own self. So, you know, I'll talk with my family and they, they see me as this Filipino transgender woman, but I don't really interact with my family that much. And so, you know, the one place that it would really start to intersect, or even here, the place that it would start to truly shine, it isn't really something I can explore just because it's not something I have truly experienced. <laughs> I, I'm not very experienced with, you know, race theory and like um, the culture of race, but if, if I'm correct, if I'm, you know, if my knowledge of this is, um, more, I guess, what's the word? If my knowledge is accurate, I believe there is almost sort of this like hierarchy of like race within our own like culture, you know? Um, in like Western European culture, there is obviously like, you know, white people and people of your European descent are favored over like Asian people and black people. And, you know, here within Canada and the US, Asian people are seen as like a model minority. And, you know, in that aspect, my Asian identity does have a, a privilege. And, you know, classically, just because of the way history has been, you know, in, in the 50s, um, transgender women were actually seen as quite brave. Um, but with society the way that it is now, is we are moving towards even more acceptance. It's still kind of the situation that, you know, trans people get harassed on the street. I mean, I've had my moments where I 
I did intentionally dress a lot more feminine and I went to the women's restroom and I was still questioned. So, you know, in that sense, it has become a lot more difficult for me to express that identity. It's a lot less privileged. Um, I think also just the location that we're in. We're, we're in the city, right? So if, if I were to go out to the country, and I've spoken with a lot of people that are a lot more conservative with their values or grew up a lot less with those kinds of people or a lot less with diverse people. And it's a lot more difficult to express even like the race identity of my own self. I think privilege is It's something that definitely comes up a lot. Like being able to grow up in the city and being able to be here in this university, or yeah, in this university and even to the university that I go to with the amount of money I'm able to spend, you know. I'm quite well off compared to a lot more people that I know that were in my family or that I'm kind of just in the know of, like related to or friends or acquaintances. So it's, it's strange, I think, to kind of have it almost in my own mind tiered, you know, I'm middle class, but then I'm also Asian, and then I'm also trans, and then there's a lot of other things that come along with that. It has for sure. Um, I think the, the first interview I did with you, I, um, I wanted to speak about, I think there was, in Filipino culture, there's this very specific um, concept of bakla, which is like a gay man that, or like a queer man, just anyone that's like a man, beside male at birth that dresses a little bit more feminine. And they don't necessarily have to be like straight or like queer. They just dress in a way that's more traditional of women. And that kind of, um, it's kind of like drag here, I'd say. Like there it's a lot more accepted. I mean, my family is kind of a little bit less, um, you know, tolerant of that sort of ideology. But in terms of either, they, they still seem to exist separately. Like, I wouldn't say that being trans has made me more Filipino or Filipina, and I wouldn't say that being Filipino has made it any particularly, like, easier or more difficult to be trans. Because of, like, the society that I exist in. Like, if I was in the Philippines, I would probably be perceived much more as bakla, or even less so, because I intentionally dress masculine so I don't have to experience, like, the hate that can occasionally come with being trans. So... It is kind of strange because <laughs> I, I have all like the intersections, but they haven't really intersected in the way that I would have been able to express just because I kind of intentionally keep it that way. And like quite a significant percentage of trans people either get harassed and or deny job opportunities because of, you know, their identity. And, you know, in, in current society, we're moving less towards like, you know, discriminating people on race, which is good. But, you know, my own... One of my own trans friends has like explicitly stated that she has found it very difficult to find a job. Like she's said to them, hey, my, I'm trans, my pronouns are she, her. And she has found it, like her employers have said, well, that might cause a little bit of friction. And I just kind of find that, pardon my French, to be kind of bullshit. Like it's, someone's identity doesn't necessarily have to impact you and neither should it, because I think there was this one, um, what was it, trans girl that did another interview like this, and it's like, you know, a man wouldn't go into, what was it, wouldn't dress up and like put on lipstick and go into like a women's restroom to harass women. Like he would just do it. 
like that would be extremely again part of my French fucked up if some man just tried to like go into a woman's restroom and did did that I mean regardless of like the um you know the violence it's still kind of absurd so it's it is very hypocritical I wish it weren't like that yeah I am um, on quite a few of my resumes um, I don't think I actually have my pronouns listed. It's only in my email signature that it's listed there. Um, I don't have anything within my email signature that signifies I am trans. I believe the only thing that does is if you see me in person physically and I mention it to you. And like, you know, you can see my Adam's apple and you can see the way that I dress. And there's a bit of a disconnect there, perhaps. Um, professionally, because I'm in sort of the art industry, or I'm kind of in the, I guess, the sphere of that. You know, art has been very traditionally very queer and very outspoken, or not traditionally, but the spaces I have been have been that, and they, I believe they will continue to do that just because art kind of lends itself to being more outspoken. Um, in the business world, it's it's not really like that, and it, it has led me to a lot of um, interesting interactions I'd have to say, uh, with other people, um, from hearsay mainly, but not really from my own. I mean, I came out as trans around, I want to say, a year, a year and eight months now. I think in around February it will be around two years, so I'm very recent to the sphere. I know people that have been experiencing dysphoria since they were young and, like, knew, like, yes, I am a man or yes, I am a woman, like from day one that they were able to perceive their own body and the concepts of gender. But, because I had the lived experience of a man and I have gone through male puberty, it's, it's not something I've had to experience in full yet, which I'm thankful for, but I fear what will actually have to happen when I have to go, you know, towards those sorts of jobs. Like, will I have to start my own company or something like that? Will I have to find the exact place where I will be able to exist, it's, it's a concern, for sure. And it's one I'm not really able to easily rid. I think one of, well, I think the only one I can draw on for discrimination has been, you know, my trans friend telling me that it's harder for her to find, like, a job just because she keeps getting denied. Um, most of the trans people that I know that are finding jobs are actually fairly, like, successful. It's, um, I believe it's because they mainly, either because they're so deep in their transition that they already pass, or they work in spaces that are naturally accepting of those identities. So like the library or casual projects that they kind of just get paid for freelancing, let's say. Um, so I can't draw from a lot of examples of discrimination specifically because <laughs> I'm almost found like, strangely more success um, within my own like conversations with people, but um, you know, I can't really give too many specific details even on the successes because you know, in those instances, that person is just so like, that person that I know is quite like deep in their transition and passes so well that it's like, you know, he's just perceived as a man. And if he was perceived as, in, in my belief and from what I've heard, if he was perceived as a trans man, it, it has led to some impact. Like his coworkers have sorry, would probably look down on him a little bit, so I've heard. But he has found quite a bit of success.
and I'm very proud of him for that. It's this uh, concept I learned about like the levels of thinking and you know like the things people think about when they are existing. So like the basal level of that would be I am hungry, I am going to eat food, or I'm going to communicate to the members of my clan that I need food. And then there's a level of like, oh, this other person has needs, and then I acknowledge that that person has needs, but then that, that person is also acknowledging my needs. And then it just gets a little bit more complex than that because you're almost like bouncing back and forth and getting into these like meta self-consciousness thinking patterns. And, you know, to quote unquote, I guess, fix or alleviate a lot of the issues of marginalized identities, people would just need to think at, the, at a higher level than they're thinking at right now, which we have done. Like, um, you know, we have complex systems and security measures and, you know, acceptance of identities and the difference between sort of like the physical and the mental, even though they are interconnected. So in that sense, I, I don't really think there is something that I can say that's actionable for our society, you know. I believe at the current moment, we are just kind of doing the best that we can to make society the best that it can be. Like, you know, we, we scream at politicians that don't adhere to our own policies or our own beliefs, but you know, earnestly or not, they're looking for the looking out for themselves or looking out for someone else or society, and that's that's not something that I can deny. It's truly, I think, to to do better would just be to think deeper, think more broad. Like I don't know, Carl Sagan's pale blue pale blue dot, perhaps. We're all just on this like little like Earth that's just floating around through space and like. People will go through conquests and, you know, hate on people that are just only here for 80 or less years. And that's, it's kind of sad to think about. I think it's just, you know, it's hard to think, it's painful to think about those sorts of things, but it's kind of necessary. I think, you know, it's kind of ideal, it's very idealist to say, just think harder, guys, and we'll get through it. But honestly, I... I don't think it's something that I can personally give any like actionable outcomes on. It's something that I feel has to be done societally. So I guess to change a society, we need to think as a society and think broader than the society and then think as a globe. I think, you know, a lot of people nowadays, they, they continually want the world to be better. They keep saying, I'm the one that can do it. I'm just going to you know, go up into power and make everything better and that's how I'm going, I'm going to win this game of life and I'm going to enhance politics and um, make it all better or I'm here for my kids and my family, I want them to be fine. I think people get so attached to the past, perhaps. They get attached to like their own notion of what happiness and the past is and they, they start to disagree and start to not accept and that's that's not something I can you know change but it's as simple as try to accept I think there's this um concept in like alt-right sort of not alt-right but it's kind of like an unsaid thing in some alt-right spaces that quote-unquote you can't get rid of evil or you can't erase evil and 
you know, the extension of that would be you can't erase all evil or you can't remove all the bad that is in the world, all the things that we don't like. And that's true. You won't ever be able to remove that which you dislike. But it's there. It's part of who we are. It's part of something that we have to accept. And maybe that's just the way it is. You know, people want everything else to be better. They want the world to be better. But it kind of just starts with the self, you know? I think people ask, why can't the world be better? But what can make the world better? And, you know, if, if we go back to, like, the simple levels of thinking, if you are part of the world and if you can be better, then the what that can be better is you. So if you're constantly hating on someone, is that being better? Is spreading dislike and disdain to someone that you don't like at all or find so many flaws in and, you know, causing damage, is that better? And if it is, I, I would like someone to question that. And the reverse of that, too. You know, what are you making better? Is making that better, better for all, better for you, better for someone that you care about? What, rather than why, I think. I think if you have more information, if you keep asking what rather than why, being like, why can't we have better things? But then what are those better things? It's sort of like those actual outcomes thing, you know? It's like. They're all different aspects of, like, the same thing, almost. Like, you know, everyone has intersecting identities to some extent. I mean, you know, we just say intersectionality because they're more evident, right? Sure, yeah, like, you know, type. those things yeah. have impact. It's just that within the society that we're in, they have a little bit less because, you know, you appear white and people are just like, oh, that's fine. But the fact that you are German and the history surrounding that and the fact that you are Ukrainian, I mean... Like, what, like, 70 years ago, people would have not liked that. Mm -hmm. But now it's just fine. So, you know, intersectionality is just bringing it all together. What is different? Okay. And then I guess at some point you kind of just realize it's not really all that different. It's like a tree growing out of the ground. It all connects back to the earth at some point, doesn't it? We just accept this bottom trunk part. Now we're just going up more. That's it. I mean, fuck. People hated Ukrainians back then. People hated, like, Germans during, like, World War II for good reason. And, like, you know, Filipino were, Filipino people were called savages, like, what? Like, during, like, the colonial eras and still kind of are? That's just, like, dehumanizing. I just want, I don't know, I kind of want to comfort everyone because it's, everyone has experienced the pain and burn of life, you know? To have a body kind of just necessarily means to feel pain, you know? your body's way of telling you that you're not doing something that it likes so i don't know we start to accept different kinds of pain i th i guess that's what i mean everyone feels pain and you know some people just kind of they kind of look at that and they're like no stop feeling pain thank you for joining us on this episode of human spectrums this podcast is produced by the students of mru's broadcast media studies program this episode was put together by gabriel flowers emily kirsch Zach Petropoulos, Jan Nikos Labatoria, and Aldi Loshi. Our series production team is Taylor Boisver, Aiden Bragg, Will Brennan, Marcus Hollingsworth, Aldi Loshi, Kristen Savard, and Kaylee Stobart. 
Human Spectrums is a production of CMRU.ca and the Community Podcast Initiative at MRU. The Community Podcast Initiative is powered by Shaw. I'm Aldi Loshi, and thanks for listening.